Hey there, I'm Mariah. And I'm Brian. And this is Retention Chronicles. E-commerce brands are shifting their strategy to retention and customer experience. And so we decided to reach out to top D2C brands and dive deeper into tactics and challenges. But here's the thing, we love going on tangents. I teach Brian all about the latest trends. And I teach Mariah that it's a waste of time. And we discuss all things in the Shopify ecosystem. So go ahead and start your workout or go on that walk and tune in as we chat. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform, improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Retention Chronicles. Today, we are joined by Michelle at Olipop. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michelle. We are so excited to have you. Um, We're going to have you say hi, give a little bit of your background, introduce yourself and Olipop. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here as well. Um, So I um, am Michelle Paulus. I work for Olipop. Um, I am part of the Omnichannel team here. Um, I've worked for Olipop. I started uh, June of uh, 2021, so a little bit over a year. Um, I've started on the team um, as the email and lifecycle marketing manager and just kind of transitioned to focus a little bit more on retention as my uh, role has evolved. Uh, prior to Alipop, I worked for a, another D2C subscription-only business, so I had a lot of experience and focus on retention and subscription, which kind of just led naturally into where I'm at at Alipop today. Yeah, that's wonderful. Can you walk us through kind of, did you like, are you, have you always been focused on retention, like making that transition more into that field has always been an area of interest for you? Uh, my career has kind of been a little bit uh, of a, a roller coaster evolution. I actually started my career as a graphic designer. And so I worked for mm-hmm. as a graphic designer for about 10 years or so. Um, and somehow just kind of ended up kind of taking on more marketing um, responsibilities as my role at my last job uh, evolved just out of natural interest in learning and um, just kind of fell into it and found a love for it and just kind of naturally evolved a combination of just passion for the industry and creative background kind of all evolved to where I'm at today. So um, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. When I think about uh, so far, when I think about Olipop, I think of design, honestly, uh, because of the the, the cans um, and the yep. website as well too. So before we get into that, can you, well, maybe I completely missed it, but could you give a little bit more information about Olipop, the company? Sure. Um, so Olipop is a kind of healthy soda soda business. Um, actually, we kind of phrase ourselves as a new kind of soda. We're kind of in a transition now of how we're um, labeling our product. Um, we have been in retail for a while and D2C business came out of mostly the pandemic. Um, And so really our retail business has been a lot of the focus. And so D2C has played a a different role and we can talk a little bit more about how that has evolved um, through the process for our brand. Um, And so really just focused on that uh, really fun, nostalgic kind of soda feel, Um, obviously a a health product, but focused on the the fun uh, side of a healthy product is really a focus for us. Yeah. So, uh, I know Mariah, um, we talked about this. So we, 
we knew that we were going to interview you. So we went out and we bought Olipops. Um, I went to uh, the local Whole Foods store uh, to find my Olipop. Mariah, uh, you ordered it online, right? Mm-hmm, correct. So we wa- we wanted to see like what was the experience like um, uh, online. Like you shared with me all those emails and stuff. So um, I, I'm curious, what did you get again, Mariah? What flavors? I got, so I got the sampler pack. So it's like got, the 12. That's right, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So um, the one I'm drinking right now is the ginger one, the lemon ginger, I believe. Huh? Yeah. Ginger lemon. Yes. Gin- I knew I was going to mess it up because the pan <sighs> was turned around, but see right here, ginger lemon. Yep. Um, and then it had vintage cola, um, cherry, is it cherry vanilla yep. uh-huh. as well? Yeah. Cherry vanilla, um, strawberry as well. I should have, I should have brought out the whole pack. I could have hold, held it up. I thought you were going to drink all of them throughout this. Oh, that would be a lot. <laughs> 12 <laughs> cans in an hour. Yeah. It's good for you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it, of, of the sodas to drink, it would be one of the best because it's, yeah, it's one of those healthier versions, but where I'm at right now, it is 10 a.m. So 12, 12 sodas at 10 a.m. in an hour. <laughs> okay. That so it's, a record. it's 9 a.m. here. The challenge. <laughs> it's 9 a.m. here. Um, so I, I drank my coffee like an hour ago or no, like 30 minutes ago. So then I'll, I'll uh, stick to Olipop after this. Uh, I also, so quick story. So I have vintage uh, cola. Huh? Oh, that's the opposite. And then a classic root beer. Um, so last night, I wanted to say both for today. Last night, I was like, I'm just kind of, I, I was craving something that wasn't water. Um, so I went <laughs> into the fridge. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take an Olipop now because at least I'll have one uh, in the morning. And my wife was next to me and then she doesn't know anything about Olipop. So I was like, well, this is like the interviewer that we're going on. She's like, can I try some too? I was like, okay, like we'll split it. Um, and I'm curious if this is, so this is the first, second time I've tried Olipop. Mm-hmm. First time for her. Um, in the first sip, she was like, ugh. Like this oh. is not what I expected. Uh-huh. And by the end of the vintage, we tried the vintage color. By the end of it, she wants to she wants to go and get a six pack. Um, she really liked it. I'm curious, is that like is that common, Michelle? Like, have you heard that from customers before? Like it takes a little bit to get there, or at least like one or two. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it also comes down to the flavor variety. I mean, we hear a lot um, of people who really like one flavor, but another one just really wasn't their jam. So I think um, in terms of experimenting with our flavors and trying different things is really the way to go. Um, People seem to be like really hardcore for certain flavors over the others. And Mm. I think it just takes time maybe to to find um, what's right for you. And I also think it depends on maybe what your soda drinking habits are from the past. If you're like used to, you know, a high sugar Coke kind of drink, you, it might come to you as a little bit of a, a different taste that might just take a little bit of time to get used to. But for people who like myself, who really have, haven't had soda much in years, uh, being able to drink something that tastes a lot like, you know, original soda is like a, a major treat. So it just really depends, I think on your, your background and what you're used to, but I, I do think we have a flavor kind of for everyone. Do you, uh, I'm not, I'm going to, I don't want to go all the way here yet, but I just want to ask this question. Like sure. uh, in the D2C space, you are, uh, you have that data point of obviously the types of drinks that someone is purchasing. So you kind of already have this um, segmentation of what people are buying, what they like. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And 
it really comes from, you know, most of our purchases are actually the, the sampler pack or the bestsellers pack that Mariah mentioned. A lot of people buy that first, and then we kind of funnel them through um, trying different flavors from there. Um, we do see, especially on subscription, people kind of find their flavor and they, they stick with it. Um, but this year we've had so many new flavors come out. It seems like we're coming out with a new one. feels like almost every month. So there's a lot more to, to try and experiment with. So it's a, um, you know, a journey to kind of try all the different flavors and, um, yeah, people are, are experimenting a lot with, with different new things as well. Okay. Mariah, what do you, what are you having right now then? Yeah. So the, so the one I'm having right now is the ginger lemon. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, so I don't drink a ton of soda. So my Michelle, I think you're right in that, like your, your perception or your expectation is probably different, right? Because Olipop isn't your traditional soda. And so for me, I really didn't have like, I was like, oh, I I think I maybe drink anything like carbonated, like a Sprite, like not a ton of I don't really like um, like root beer or Coke mm-hmm. or anything. So for me, I like I like the ginger lemon route because I if I'm having tea, like usually it's ginger mm-hmm. and lemon. So it matched well, but I, I like it. Um, I think that because I didn't really know what to expect. I was like, oh, like um, cracking it open. I did kind of like the first sip. I was like, oh, it is a little bit different from what I planned. Like it kind of tastes like almost like kombucha a little bit. Like I could taste that it was definitely less sugar and better for me. If that yeah. sounds, yeah, that, if that makes sense feel. to anyone. Like I could taste like that it was healthier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that especially the ginger lemon flavor is mm-hmm. uh, I think popular, especially with people who are coming from more like the kombucha kind of healthier drink spectrum, or maybe uh, more like sparkling water type of thing. But then some of more of our classic soda flavors are maybe more attractive to people who are really transitioning from, you know, the traditional um, yeah. soda. So, um, and another interesting thing just about our flavors is we hear a lot about different like food pairings with different flavors, which for me is kind of like how I drink Olipop as well. Like I really like a vintage cola with a burger, but like, Mm. you know, in the middle of the day for a treat, you know, Mm. that banana cream flavor that came out over the summer, you know, that's something that feels very indulgent, like a treat that I wouldn't necessarily pair with food, but is a good kind of, you know, midday pick me up as well. Okay. Do you, um, do you talk about this on your website or no? Like what pairings or is that just kind of organic? We do a lot of on social with that. We have some blog posts about food pairings. We've done, you know, some email content about it. And we did, I think an email campaign last year, we took a lot of like UGC content of what people are posting on social. Like I like, you know, root beer with uh, pizza and kind of giving people different inspirations of what to try. And it's just interesting to hear what, what people um, like, cause I think everybody's kind of different too. Oh yeah. Well, I bring that up because um, uh, so again, we talked to Tenzo T before and their big thing that they're really pushing is like the recipes. And so they're trying to um, just push the ideas, like especially on the retention side of, Hey, here are a few recipes um, that are brand new from the user generated uh, content that is being created and then putting it on their website and obviously like trying to drive more traffic doing that. Yeah. Content for that, for us, like that has worked really well. Yeah. We have some really great, um, kind of Instagram, uh, user generated content of, you know, people pouring, um, you know, 
a certain flavor over ice cream and maybe mixing, you know, mm. uh, alcohol in it, making a little cocktail or a mocktail. So a lot of different things you can do with uh, Olipop, just the same as you could mix in with traditional soda, which is fun. Yeah. 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 That's really fun. I know you just said, Michelle, um, while we were hopping on this call that you just launched new flavors. Was it yesterday you said? Yeah. Yesterday was the early access launch of our uh, cherry cola flavor, which I'm mm. on this morning. Oh. Um, this was an exciting launch. Um, the flavor is sold on drinkalipop.com, but it's also exclusive at Target, which with the red color, you know, the, that the matches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, really exciting. First time we've done something quite like that, especially with a big uh, national retailer like Target. So um, exciting launch. Um, I think they have the flavor exclusive for the year and it can also be purchased on our website. Yeah. So um, you don't have to answer this if it's like uh, private information or private data, but like what the, you said during the pandemic, that's when you went to D2C, you were like a hundred percent. Is that what it was uh, retail side before the pandemic? Or did you have a website? Uh, I wasn't part of the team at the time, but from what I understand, um, we were primarily retail, um, and the launch of our D2C website, I think was in February of 2020. So like right as the pandemic was starting. So the timing was great. Um, and it just allowed people a different way to, to purchase at that time when there was, you know, a lot of unknowns about, you know, (laughs) am I going to be able to get enough groceries? So, um, that really created an audience, initial audience for, um, drinkolipop.com. But, um, ever since then, um, our retail expansion has just skyrocketed. I think I saw a, a number yesterday that we're approaching, uh, 20,000 doors here very soon. So I think when I started, maybe we were at wow. 5,000, 6,000. I, I don't remember the exact number, but our retail expansion has grown significantly, um, which, has a lot of impact on our D2C business as well, um, especially just in the, the ratio of our business growth. It's definitely um, growing more in retail than D2C right now, but there's a, a definite, definite relationship there between um, in-store purchasing and online. And um, we can talk a little bit more about that. I got some interesting um, learnings we've had from let's, just- Let's okay. go for that. Like I, I because I was going to ask you like, what, let's go deeper. And what is that relationship? Like, do you see that it's a first, like almost a first touch at retail? Like, Hey, here's how you can get your sample. Yeah, that's, that's really what we're seeing right now. Um, I, I looked um, a couple of weeks ago and really did a deep dive in our post-purchase survey where we asked, you know, how did you hear about mm-hmm. us first? And beginning of the year, um, retail was towards the bottom of that list of how people had heard about us. They've heard about us more through, you know, paid ads, social, digital stuff. Um, now in August, it was the number one place people had heard about us. Um, and so wow. that shift, you know, throughout just, you know, the course of this year alone has really changed how people are interacting with Olipop, you know, initially, um, which I think really, you know, from a D2C perspective might seem like, uh, maybe it's a bad thing. We're going to lose some of our D2C business to retail. But I think with the way Olipop approaches kind of our omni-channel approach to things, I think that's actually a really good thing for our DSC business because it allows people to have easy access to try a can, find their flavor that they like with so many that we have available and then filter in through buying on DSC. So I think kind of it's, I think of retail as kind of like a billboard for our DSC mm-hmm. business and really taking that um, approach to things. 
And another interesting thing we've learned this year is we've surveyed people who are buying repeatedly um, on drinkolipop.com. And we asked the question, do you also buy in retail? Like, are you actively buying through us and in retail? Um, And like 58% of people say they're buying in retail and online um, from us. So we know people are shopping in a, a various you know ways and uh, we kind of as a brand and a business are kind of agnostic to where people are purchasing which is a totally different perspective for me coming from a strict d2c business yeah. and being an open mind to you know our goal is really just to reach as many people as possible and be where people are shopping however they want to shop versus trying to force people kind of down certain funnels well that's what i was going to ask you is like do you have any campaigns that are hey let's focus on getting these retail customers that are already buying us through retail, like getting them to the DTC, the DTC side. Um, or it sounds like it's just been organic and like, let them choose the path. Yeah, it really has been mostly organic in terms of people coming from retail to uh, our DTC. We're not necessarily, you know, doing anything with our packaging to at this point, you know, we probably mm-hmm. won't kind of to drive to D to C from a retail purchase. We're really kind of relying on that organic trial at retail and then come to, to our D to C website. And it seems to be working, you know, naturally without ad spend, which is great. I, uh, okay. So when you are buying retail, and this is more a, a question just because I don't know how, how it works in retail, mm-hmm. Do you get any like? Do you get any customer information at all um, from from the targets of the world? I mean, in from terms of foods? like individual customer data, no. Uh, you know, we don't we can't necessarily tie you know a person purchased in Target and then they can, came to our website and purchased. We don't have that level of data. We just have kind of the the larger scale retail data that's available just to see shopper trends um, as a whole. Okay. We can't necessarily tie those two things together, which is a, you know, an interesting challenge in terms of gauging how that is working. Well, it's like, I feel like there's gotta be ways around this Mariah because um, it, maybe I'm just going crazy, but like sometimes (laughs) when we're shopping retail um, so we have connected TV, like streaming TV, uh, Hulu (laughs) is, Hulu live TV. And like, we will get an ad from a few of the brands that we purchased from in the last like couple days. Um, and so it's either just like the targeting is great. They already know that we're planning to buy, or they actually know that we bought. And they're doing they, they do know that you've bought there. Yeah. There definitely is technology that can, you know, track purchases, you know, through credit cards and, and all of that. I mean, kind of, <laughs> nothing is secret anymore in terms no. of yeah. you know what we're all doing online and even in store. So all that data is there, but we can't necessarily, you know, directly connect yeah. those data points. I see. Yeah. I see. I would also think like URL tracking too of, cause like on social platforms, if you go to like someone's website and then, you know, it pops up later on your social feed or vice versa, it's like you check out oh, someone's yeah. Instagram and then you're on the Google or online, wherever, and then their little ad pops up. Like, I definitely think there are workarounds, but it's interesting hearing you talk about the experience with retail and D2C, Michelle, because we had Olipop on, or sorry, we had Proper Good on as a guest mm-hmm. in season one, and they were, they started out in retail and similar to Olipop, then joined the D2C space. And they have since converted, I believe, 100% to D2C just because. Hmm. of that reason that they couldn't get the um the individualized data 
of mm-hmm. who was purchasing with them and they wanted that and they wanted that experience to be super personalized. And so because of that reason that I'm sure there's, there has to be technology and ways that retailers could give individual sellers that information. But my hypothesis would be because they're the retailers, they're the big, you know, name brands. They don't have to, right? Like if you're, if you're going up against target and being like, I want my customer data, they're going to be like, okay, go somewhere else. Right. Like they're probably not going to go through all of that for all of their sellers. No. Yeah. To, to do that, but I'm sure it's possible, right? Like we, we've, we've discussed waves. We've seen it. Yeah. And you know, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're finding ways to maybe not get to that level of data, but something that we just started working with, um, is a company called pair, um, which has, it basically allows us to create a store locator where people can shop from our email campaigns, like to target.com. And so we can track if people are making those purchases coming from, you know, our, you know, own channels and email, but we don't necessarily know exactly who did that or what they purchased, just that they did. So we can see the relationship, but we can't, you know, necessarily market to a personal level based on that data. What is, it, what is it? Pair? P-E-A-R? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Pair. Um, and then, so let's go back into like the retention side. Like, do you use a lot of technology um, today uh, in the, just your know, normal responsibilities? Like, is that a big part of Olipop? Yeah, definitely. Even though, you know, we have that kind of interesting relationship where we know people are shopping in, you know, multiple areas. We sure. do know a lot of people are shopping on drinkolipop.com and there are obviously tactics we can do to help retain those customers. Um, we use a lot of, you know, a lot of different things. One of the kind of biggest wins we've had is working with um, Repeat. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but yes. We use um, a lot of personalized shopping carts within our email campaigns. And I know maybe we'll get into a little bit more about email content and how we craft that. But a lot of our strategy is like making that repeat purchase easy um, for a customer through our regular content, engaging content, leading to conversion. Um, We do a lot um, of that. And then we also last month um, started using repeats, kind of trigger through Klaviyo, um, which really times our repeat uh, nurturing sequences based on their algorithm. Whereas before we were using kind of Klaviyo's predicted reorder date. Um, so we rebuilt all of our campaigns based on that. And the initial data is like, we've increased our purchase, uh, purchase rate on those flows by 245%. It was kind of crazy. Oh like, wow. So, a, a change. So walk me through this a little bit, because so it's a, um, what you're deciding on is that you have a, like a rebuy flow um, mm-hmm. of like how to, once we, you think that they're done with their first purchase and to get them to purchase again. And the trigger is all based on like, when does that start? And it's an estimation. And you're saying that Clavio had their own estimation, mm-hmm. but um, the the tool that you're using repeat um, has like, you're trying this and it's actually uh, been really good so far. Yeah, it's just performing, I think, a mix of the the timing of it. And then we did a lot of work just in terms of really segmenting out um, the reminder and the content uh, for that repeat purchase based on how many purchases you made in the past, what you've purchased before. And so we just did a lot of customization um, with that flow that between the timing of the flow and then the work we've done on the content and the creative and the segmentation has really been performing really well for us and it's exciting. Only email so far. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, it, repeat does have a trigger through SMS, but it's a little bit harder to do a lot of the um, personalization that we've been able to do through email. So we have both learning. Um, what type of personalization do you do? Um, so we really focus on how many purchases you've had so that the reminder isn't the same for, you know, from your first purchase to your second purchase to your third purchase. And then we also focus heavily on the first purchase, knowing that most people are buying the bestseller or the uh, variety sampler pack on their first purchase. We kind of follow up specifically about that uh, flavor profile that they purchased and then suggesting, suggesting another flavor to try based on what the person has purchased before. I, I feel like, uh, I feel like I'm asking like so many questions, questions. So I appreciate like all the like quick responses. Cause like now I got like another question based off of this. Um, do you look at LTV by, um, well, actually, let me take a step back for flavors. What determines a successful flavor? Um, you know, with the amount of flavor launches we've had this year, um, you know, a lot of our flavors are, are new, so they'll get a huge spike, you know, from interest of a new flavor launch, and then it kind of stabilizes off. Um, just in terms of what is successful on D2C versus retail is also yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um, we found that um, actually, like our most popular flavor in retail is strawberry vanilla. It's towards the bottom of the list for D2C, which is really interesting. And I think when that, did strawberry vanilla come out a while ago or recently? Uh, strawberry vanilla is one of our original flavors. So it, it's it. been kind of uh, around from the beginning. Um, but I think that comes down to like retail availability. So strawberry vanilla is, you know, available in a lot of retailers, um, but maybe some of our other flavors aren't. And so mm -hmm. that's why they're more popular on D2C than in retail. So we're really looking at, you know, distribution of flavors in terms of availability in the market and uh, really kind of honing in on what people are looking for that they can only get through our D2C website. So kind of what, you know, successful about a flavor really determines um, is really based on, you know, how people can access it, um, which is interesting. Is there any, um, like the more flavors that someone were, try, were, were to try, do you think like, is, would your hypothesis be that there would be a longer time customer if they're trying a lot more of your flavors or is it the opposite? Is it like one flavor that what they're sticking to and they stay a customer for a very long time? Yeah, I mean, we definitely see like our vintage cola uh, subscription customers. That's like our number one subscription product. You know, people like that flavor. That's what they're used to. They stick to that. But now that we have so many new flavors coming out, adding the variety kind of helps keep things fresh. And I really think it yeah. comes down to the to the individual, and especially when it comes to our subscription program. Uh, one thing that we've um, launched this year in relation to our new flavor launches is the ability for our subscription customers to add a case of the new flavor launch to their subscription without having to purchase outside of their subscription at their subscription discounted price. So that kind of creates and adds variety to the subscription at a discounted price um, while still like retaining that, that original purchase intent of the flavor that they love while yeah. trying something new, uh, all in the same shipment, which has been really great for us. Yeah. Do you guys have a, for those new flavor launches, is there like a cadence internally that, you know, like, okay, we're releasing a new flavor each month or each quarter or something so that, you know, customers can kind of expect 
when I'm checking out for my subscription or whatever, like, oh, I can add this new flavor? Is it just kind of like a surprise? Is there any messaging around that? Um, we don't necessarily uh, say in advance, like when we're coming out with the flavor, maybe like a few days before, but this year has really been a cadence where we just kind of had that much innovation in the year that I think people are kind of starting to expect that from us just because that has been what has happened this year. It wasn't necessarily um, super strategic in terms of we're going to come out with a new flavor each month, get ready for it. It was more just kind of organic as it evolved. Um, obviously we had the flavors planned, but we didn't necessarily like lay out the the landscape right. at the time. Yeah. I feel like, so you said it's not strategic. It, um, it comes off as strategic, not saying that I'm saying that as a marketer, probably not as a consumer. Um, so yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we do definitely, you know, try to space them out, not to have, you know, yeah two flavors back to back right away. And so there is a, a cadence to it just to kind of spread it out throughout the, the year, but it's not necessarily like, um, you know, we've planned it exactly four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks. It's kind of, actually it's a lot in relation to when the flavor is going to come out in retail. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we've had a couple launches this year where the flavor people are finding it in retail before we've really announced it on D2C, which has been interesting and kind of create some, some hype behind that, but we don't necessarily completely have control of hundred percent when it's going to hit shelves. So there's a lot of interesting dynamic between the retail timing and the D2C timing that uh, we've learned a lot from this year. I feel like, um, all right, question for Mariah. Um, I've had this odd, odd moment listening to Michelle, which is, <laughs> The amount of flavors, right? Like there's so many, like the, the difference I see is that um, you have to compare Olipop to something. And so for me, obviously I'm comparing it to normal Coke and, and Pepsi, uh, root beer, like normal root beer. Um, and when I do that, I'm putting the normal Coca-Cola like to the side and saying, this is like old. Um, it's been around for a long time. Olipop, this is new. And then I'm looking at it from the sense of the flavors. I think it takes, um, my guess is it takes a long time for a, a company like Coca-Cola to come out with a new product. Um, there's huge amount of resources needed and um, the logistics behind it. But like Olipop's like, hey, here's a new flavor, here's a new flavor. And it makes me think of TikTok, um, I'll be <laughs> honest. And, and, and your generation, Mariah, because it's like, give me something new, give me something new, give me something new, or at least, at least give me the appearance that things are evolving and changing fast. Um, yeah. it, and again, Michelle, you said it's not strategic, but like it comes across like that saying like, hey, we're, we can move really fast because people's tastes move very fast now. Um, and it just seems that you're, it's not just being healthy for you. It's just like how the brand is. It's just mm-hmm. different. And it's the opposite of what the old is. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it is the that is what's very like I don't want to say trending right now, but it is trending of like how fast can you be shown something new? Mm-hmm. And so like no matter the industry, that's going to work in your favor, right? Like everyone already knows Coca-Cola, it'll be around for decade whatever, forever. But it's this is okay, so Michelle, a little bit of background, we were talking about Instagram and TikTok of like coca-cola they're always going to be known for that and so even if they have like little branch um like products or something that's different they're they're going to be like oh what well it's coca-cola if i'm going to get a coca-cola product i'm just going to get coke right or like they have like all their different like coke zero and everything like that 
it's still going back to the same thing though. So even though it's new flavors, I would say that Olipop, you're going to it because it's a, at least this is my assumption, correct me if I'm wrong, Michelle, but like you're going to Olipop because it's a healthy alternative. You're going to Coca-Cola because that's what you know. So it is, it is an interesting dynamic to look at the two of them and compare them. But I do think they are different in that, like their brand story or their messaging and what, who they're targeting because Coca-Cola knows that they don't have to, you know, come out with a new product because it's already established. Olipop, that, that kind of seems like that's your thing, right? Like you're coming out with all these interesting flavors and it's a newer brand. So people don't have that same, um, they're not stuck in their ways the same way that, you know, you'd look at Coca-Cola. Yeah. Yeah. It's like what? Instagram and TikTok, like the same thing we were discussing on the last podcast. Well, your point was like the uh, TikTok video, Instagram photos. And if Instagram is trying to move more into video, it's like, uh, that's hard to do because it's already photos in our brain. That's kind of the yeah. comparison you're making. Yeah. And Coca-Cola yeah. has like the, you know, they have, I can't even, I don't even know them off the top of my head, but I know they have like a cherry one, right? Like they do have different flavors, but they're never going to be as popular as the original because that's what everyone knows and loves. Whereas Olipop, you know, you can look at you, you're presented with a bunch of different flavors immediately. So like, that's what they're more known for is what I'd argue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think also for this year for Olipop, it's like, we're really building out our core portfolio of flavors. Like when we have had limited edition flavors, like the um, banana cream that we did in partnership with universal and the minions, like that was a novelty flavor that was limited edition for a limited time. That's like the new, new kind of exciting thing, but yep. the flavors that we've come out, like the, the cherry cola and the cream soda, uh, those are like really iconic soda flavors that I think we're kind of building that portfolio of flavors to really position ourselves to compete with a traditional uh, soda. We need that, that kind of flavor variety that people have come to, you know, be nostalgic about in their lives. Like they remember having a cream soda. That's why we have the cream soda is like yes. to replicate that, that nostalgic feel. So it's a combination of excitement of the new flavors, but also just like, coming out with that that core portfolio that really satisfies that that longing for uh, the soda that we remember as kids who's um we should have asked this early early on um especially being the retention manager like who's the um who is the typical buyer and like how many buyers do you have if you were to forecast that so alipop as i think is really going through a, a transition um in terms of who are you know, core customer is. Um, when Olipop started, you know, we were more of that health product. We were targeting a lot of, you know, healthy kombucha drinkers, whole food shopping moms, like that type of audience, you know, healthy influencers, that kind of audience. Um, but now as we've expanded at uh, major retailers like Target and Walmart, you know, our, our customer base is very wide now. And, and that's what we really want in terms of our mission to really change what people are drinking and the relationship with soda. So, you know, as Olipop expands, our, our customer base is broader and broader and broader. And that's really a focus for our brand in, in the next year is really honing in on that messaging that appeals to a broad audience and doesn't necessarily get too preachy about, you know, health things and, you know, makes it more about the experience um, of, you know, enjoying something that's, you know, better for you without sacrificing um, 
too much of, you know, enjoyment of actually um, having a, a healthy product. So our messaging and the approach to things is really kind of changing and who we're hoping to reach is expanding a lot. And it's really exciting um, as a kind of better for you brand to be approaching that, that, um, that shift. That makes sense. I mean, obviously the, uh, this is, I'm sure like the whole company is thinking about it, but um, for a can right now, it was $3 and 99 cents. I believe, or two dollars ninety nine cents. Shoot, I think it was three ninety nine. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think it, it depends on the the retail that you're buying from, but I think our standard price is maybe two ninety nine. A lot of times you can buy it on sale for two forty nine. It it depends. It's on sale sometimes. And do you think you can reach that mass audience with that same price? Um, you know that is definitely a struggle for us, just in terms of you know the the ingredients that go into our soda is you know very different than. Yeah a sugar water basically. And so there's a lot of functional ingredients that really is, you know, creating that, that cost shift. But our hope is that as we grow and can scale, we can, uh, you know, bring that, that cost down to reach a broader, broader audience. But I think that's where, you know, a lot of the work that I do in terms of retention marketing and communicating about the, the function of our product over time is really, that's our opportunity to educate people like, why is this soda cost $2.99 when I can get a, a Coke for 50 cents? I mean, that's the opportunity to, to explain the difference and, and why, you know, Olipop is, you know, yeah. better for you. Um, well, let's hit on that because on the emails um, that uh, Mariah and I received, like once we ordered our Olipop, I would say that's, that's what came across. It was very educational, um, mm -hmm. especially like, Hey, you know, you, the confirmation of the order, um, and I think the order was shipped. It was all about like, Hey, here's why this is good for you. So that's on purpose, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. We really, um, in the last year have structured our kind of post-purchase journey based on, um, kind of the first purchase, second purchase and third purchase in terms of what we really want to communicate and kind of how we trickle that education over time. Um, it's really focused on like the first purchase is kind of defining what is a new kind of soda. That's the goal of that, that post-purchase flow. Second purchase, we start to get a little bit more into function, a little bit more about fiber, a little bit more about the microbiome. So it's kind of trickling education without like kind of shoving it in your face right at the beginning. That can be a turnoff for a lot of people, but as you get more invested and Olipop becomes a, a habit, you're drinking it regularly. We want to educate people on, you know, what that's actually meaning for you and, you know, how it can make a difference in your daily life without necessarily starting with that, leading with that. We're leading more with the, you know, it's a new kind of soda rather than it's a sparkling health tonic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the education behind it because I think that's for me, at least like that's the messaging that I like to hear about is like, oh, how is this? Like, I, I remember there was even a little like, like little tip, little health tip. And it was like, oh, like probiotics, right? Like your microbiome, your gut that, you know, the ingredients that are in Olipop mm -hmm. that is helping your digestive system. And so like, I always appreciated that. And so of course, when I got the order confirmation, it was, it was great to see. And I love the, um, the can too like at the top it says like supports digestive health there's like sun of course where i'm trying to put it in but um like all those little things and i want to go into like the messaging a little bit too of um all, all the branding like 
how do you get that across without being too like preachy and still trying to captivate that wider audience that you were saying Olipop is, you know, trying to go after, right? You're not, you're not just exclusively in this um, more niche community, but it's like, how do you balance getting that messaging and branding across to a point that it isn't so overwhelming that it, you know, doesn't, it isn't relatable for the the masses, right? Um so I would love to, I know you said that Olipop in terms of its audience is going into the transition in terms of a wider um, reach, but I'd love to know, does, has the branding always stayed the same? Like the, the can and the whole process of, um, you know, crafting those emails and all the social, is that, has that also kind of grown and adapted as, as the audience has? Yeah. Um, just a little bit of like kind of background on Olipop and um, kind of the evolution of it, the branding. Back in the very beginnings of Olipop, it actually had a completely different look and feel. Like the packaging was totally different. It focused more on like the ingredients um, of, you know, of Olipop. Um, our co-founders, Ben and David, had like a gut feeling about that, that it wasn't really what they wanted to put out. And that ended up, they scrapped it all and it ended up to what you see today in terms of you know, the very colorful, nostalgic feeling of our packaging, which is a thousand percent been a large part of our success. Just, it looks fun to drink an Olipop just yeah. from the packaging. Um, but in terms of like the nuances of, of our packaging and the branding, this is where the, the slight shift that we're going through right now. Um, I think I mentioned a couple of times, some of our cans say sparkling tonic, and you'll see over the next year, they're starting yeah. to specifically say a new kind of soda. Um, I don't know if, if your can says sparkling tonic. It's a mine does. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, the cherry cola that just came out says a new kind of soda. Oh, um, that's fun. Okay. Is really what we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of transition between sparkling tonic sounds much more like a, a health beverage. A new kind of soda is, you know, oh, it's soda, you know, it's not sparkling water. It really defines what the product is, but also hints to being slightly, you know, what's a new kind of soda? What does that mean? And so that's where, you know, a lot of the education then comes in from the curiosity of what a new kind of soda actually means. And you're I think, trying to start your own new category, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, that's, mm. that's really what we're doing. We're, you know, a, a functional beverage, but trying to break from kind of, that strict category into something that really can compete with a, a traditional soda. Um, yeah. It's really the goal. But, you know, in terms of how we keep people engaged, especially, you know, you mentioned the, the price point and really communicating that is making that educational content fun and engaging. And just by the nature of, you know, Olipop's branding and packaging, you know, it's colorful, it's fun. We have amazing creative team that really does an amazing job of combining, you know, fun visuals with, you know, really um, kind of maybe unexpected copy that gets, you know, can get really fun. Um, In some of our campaigns, like we really kind of go for a different approach that maybe, other um, kind of healthy brands might not. I think one of the, the questions on the list here was about, you know, what is a you know campaign that you've really enjoyed working on? And I think this really kind of ties into your question. Like we, we go for it in terms of the educational content. Um, we worked on a, a campaign with a partnered with a registered dietitian to create an educational content that just really addressed a very common question we get, which is, does Olipop make you poop? Like, we, <laughs> <for that. laughs> we get that question a lot. 
we introduced that concept, it was eye-catching and, and different and something people wonder with the fiber content in our product. And so it was just kind of a, a fun way to engage that cop, that concept without, you know, making a five page dissertation on the benefits of fiber. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of the approach that we take is talking about the topic, but in a kind of friendly, engaging way, like really thinking about how you might talk to a friend about, you know, healthy changes that you make. <laughs> about poop. Yes. Um, <laughs> Very lighthearted. I like that. Yes. <laughs> when you said you got a lot of questions, not you got a lot of questions, the yeah. brand got a lot of questions. It'd be odd if you just got it. Um, <laughs> but like, we're, I mean, we're, we're individuals emailing Alibop. Is that, or was it just kind of like you saw this in, I don't know, different communities and threads, people were asking that, or were they actually like, let's find the email to Alibop to Michelle and I have a question. <laughs> you know, it, it really has come from a lot of different channels. We see that question on social, we get it directly, um, you know, in our CX inbox. If you start to Google, does Olipop, one of the things that comes up as a common search is, does Olipop? <laughs> like, we've seen these things and we, you know, seen that people are asking these questions. So let's talk about it. And um, it is, uh, yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> It was number three for me. Does Olipop yeah. have caffeine? Does Olipop have alcohol? Does Olipop make you poop? Yeah. Um, <laughs> number three. That's so, great. A brand awareness too, right? Yeah. Like to, yeah. yeah. That's, that's great. Let's go. I'm, I'm curious about the second one. Does Olipop have alcohol? Is this, a, is this something that the team has considered at all or no? Even um, just a partnership somewhere? You know, it, it, we definitely have, you know, recipes and suggestions mm-hmm. about different uh, cocktails that you can make, but I don't know that we're really in, in the space that's starting to come out with, you Especially know. if you just did sparkling tonic and you're like, oh gosh, we got to change this again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who knows what will come in the, the future for Olipop, but, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily rule it out, but we've got okay. a lot of, a lot of plans just on, you know, really tackling the soda market. So that might be a little a little ways off. So I want to uh, take a quick step step backwards and talk about those emails really quick. Sure. Um, I, I I guess like what I wanted to say is like comment more than a question, but more for our audience, right? Like there's uh so we've worked with so, so many merchants that are like, hey, I just yep, just send the email that says uh, your order is on the way, and then uh, an email that says your order is uh, at your doorstep, for example, and that's mm-hmm. it. But what we try to communicate to our merchants, which sounds like Michelle, you're already well ahead, uh, well aware of this, is that there's always this like guilt. There's a little bit of guilt as soon as you click on the buy button, right? It's like, oh, like did I make the right decision to purchase this product or not? And I felt it was um, the the flow that you put together like helped with that guilt along the way. It made me assure myself that I made the right decision, right? Like it was, okay, I'm buying this for uh, health reasons. And then like the very first email was uh, the confirmation that it was purchased. And then I think there was information there about, um, again, like the health reasons, like you said, like the first flow is about just like general overall high level health reasons about Alipop. Um, And it was sure it was educational, but like, honestly, it just made me feel reassured that I made the right decision. that's something that you've thought about as well too, or did that also just come organically? Yeah, de- definitely have thought about that, especially with the with the price point and especially with the price point of purchasing on yeah. our website. 
um, you know, to commit to buying a whole 12 case of something that maybe you, you haven't tried before, or hope is that you have tried it before in retail, but you know, maybe you haven't, or it's a new flavor. Um, there really is a need to confirm that, you know, you made the right decision and, you know, something exciting is coming from the, you know, the investment that you made in, in yourself, really. What, what, um, so you talked about the, uh, the goal, the uh, going from first purchase to second purchase, second purchase, to third purchase, and you have campaigns for each one of those. Um, like, how do you know that it's working or not? Well, I think in, uh, this really comes down to like kind of the longer game of retention yeah. is like you don't really until you really <laughs> have time with it and you you watch those campaigns and you look at, you know, how people are engaging with the content, but then also, you know, are we making that bridge from first to second purchase? How many people go through that flow and end up do re- repurchasing? Also making those campaigns easy to purchase from. So we're, not, we're looking at the engagement of those flows, you know, are people engaging with that content, but then also does that content actually end up generating sales? It might not be our goal from the content. The goal is, you know, the education and to make you, you know, feel good about your purchase, yeah. but then, you know, do people end up actually buying from that email? And we're seeing that that, that is the case. So um, that's kind of two things that we're looking at is, you know, are people engaging with the content? Are people purchasing from those flows? But then do they ultimately end up repurchasing as well? That's that's what I've heard. Uh, and I'm just, just you're reconfirming that like, yes, like even though it's an email, like you still will track the engagement of that email. And then if someone is purchasing off of that email. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to add to, or Michelle, do you have something to add oh, onto okay. that? Okay. I want to add that. So getting the emails, um, the pop-up for, so this is the post-purchase emails, right? When you get, um, I think it was in the order, it, your order is on the way. So out for delivery email and there's a pop-up to refer a friend. And so it was like, you know, send this to your friends, $15 off, mm-hmm. whatever. And then there is also another part of that, which is, of course, um, anyone who listens to the podcast will know I was intrigued by, which was um, your, I guess, a partnership or integration. I'm not sure what the technical term is there, but you're working with Bounty. And yes. so, you know, from the consumer point of view, it's like this little, um, it has it in your emails and it's like, okay, want want to get paid to um, create a TikTok of you drinking Olipop, something along those lines. And mm-hmm. so I, of course, had to set up the process and see what it was all about. Um, but can you tell us more about kind of that? Like it can be high level just about bounty and what the inspiration behind that was. Um, sure. Because I am I have my hypothesis, but I would love to hear your uh, reasoning. And maybe yeah. talk a little bit about like what, sorry, I was even, even confused with something. Like when you <laughs> told me, Mariah, like what, what? It's like a link. Like so if you could explain exactly what you're, what it looks like. Sure. So, uh, well, actually the, the process for bounty actually starts immediately after post-purchase on the confirmation page. So on the confirmation page, there is a a widget, um, through an integration we have with bounty, which is really just a, um, experiment for us right now, something we're, we're Mm -hmm. trying. And basically what it says on that confirmation page is, do you want to get paid to talk about Olipop. And because you've got the product coming to you, you've already purchased it. 
Um, you can sign up to basically make TikTok videos about Olipop once it arrives and you sign up through a process to basically, you know, commit to making content, the content, you know, exists organically on, you know, the individual creators accounts and then Bounty tracks the views on that content and then pays out creators based on views, just kind of organically and naturally without it being oh, just on views. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And as a brand, you can set up different like thresholds for, for how many views you want. And I don't necessarily know all the details of how we have that set up, but that's the kind of general flow of it. Um, and what we've done is because that, that really exists like on the confirmation page, which is you, you see maybe once when you check out, we've worked it into our post-purchase flows and emails as well, so that you're getting that, that information about Bounty, like basically as you're receiving the product as well. Um, so that seems to work well for us just in terms of timing. We're seeing a lot of organic content come out of that Um and, you know, that has been great for us. It's, you know, very early stages of, you know, working with Bounty, but so far it seems to be working well, just in terms of the amount of content that we're getting and our TikTok presence really growing as a brand. Um, but actually, um, I think just yesterday I heard from Bounty that they actually have a new uh, integration with Klaviyo that they can set up a, a separate trigger to send like a dedicated email about bounty that sends you through a whole personalized experience to sign up for it outside of the confirmation page. Cause currently you have to really That's coming from Olipop though. It would be still coming from Olipop. Yeah. It would be coming from Olipop through our account, you know, message exactly how we want to, but um, just allow that messaging and uh, to exist outside of that post-purchase email and its own kind of timing and flow. So yeah. is that is that difficult for you though? Because it's like two competing metrics, right? Like it's like, okay, we got to focus on the retention piece um, and educating the consumer. And then at the same time, it's like, well, can they generate content to help us generate even new consumers? Is that a difficult yeah. thing to do for you? <laughs> that is, you know, something we just in general constantly have struggled with is, you know, that post-purchase experience. There's so much that we could say and want to say, and, yeah. you know, you only have so much space, but we use that kind of as an experiment and we had the opportunity. We wanted to see if we could get that content created. And that was really the best and only place to put it. So, you know, are we temporarily sacrificing maybe a, another placement? Yes, but, you know, in the spirit of innovation and experimentation, yeah. you know, that's kind of the, the sacrifice we sometimes have to, to make. Well, it probably comes down to personalization, right? Like if you can understand the, the customer from the beginning, mm -hmm. like showing me a bounty, like probably doesn't make sense unless maybe Mariah thinks that I should start a TikTok soon. Um, <laughs> but like showing a bounty to Mariah maybe makes more sense. Um, and I think like that would be interesting, like conditional flows based on either first party data that you have or like third party data that's saying like, hey, Brian Lastovich has, you know, these social media accounts linked to him. Yeah, definitely. And I think that integration that is coming out with Bounty will allow us to, to um, personalize that, to do that more. Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I would offer too, even though, you know, I'm sure it's a trade-off with the educational content versus um, having the Bounty TikTok offering there. Mm -hmm. I would offer that it lends itself. So Bounty, it lends itself to retention as well, right? Like, so you're creating the content. And so that's another 
way for Olipop to have a relationship with their consumer that is different right. from other like I have an owner in the product. It's almost like yeah. you're an owner in the product now. You're part of the marketing team. Right. Yeah. So you gotta you gotta be yeah, exactly product if you want to be an owner into it. And there's yeah. a motivator there, right? Like being yeah. compensated, or whatever. But there's also a like subliminal or subconscious level. It's like, oh, I'm now more committed to Olipop because I am putting, and you know, if I've signed up for Bounty, I'm putting more work into it, putting more time, investing more time. And so if you see that then become successful as an individual and as a consumer, you're like, oh, I'm going to keep working with Olipop, keep consuming their product because one, I like it, two, there's this other avenue that it's like now as a consumer, I can create content and get compensated for it on the back end. So I would say, even though it is an interesting toss up to experiment with of, okay, you're not putting in like this blog post. I think it also lends itself nicely to the relationship building aspect of retention, but also it is, it plays into the branding a bit, in my opinion, because it's newer for Olipop. Like I haven't seen that before. So I'm like, oh, wow, they're really on top of it. They're such a fun brand. They're on TikTok, right? Like even if you aren't on TikTok, I think so there's you still- have to be on TikTok to be a fun brand. Oh, yes. My. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, we, we've used um, that bounty offer as kind of like a actual growth and new customer acquisition tool yes. in a way as well, because uh, the, our team who makes our TikTok content is amazing. They they did a TikTok directly about bounty, basically saying, you know, purchase from Olipop with this promo code and you can get paid to talk about Olipop. So we've seen orders come from the fact that we've said, you know, new new orders come from the fact that we've said you can end up doing this with, you know, the Olipop that you will purchase, even though you haven't ever tried it before. Or maybe yeah. you've tried it in, in store, but now here's a new a new way to interact with the, the brand. Um, we actually used a campaign at the initial launch of Bounty with a, a promo code. We targeted some people who are very new to our flows who haven't purchased yet alongside, you know, some kind of consistent um, long-term customers with us. And we saw a lot of people purchase Olipop for the first time because of that Bounty offer, um, which is really interesting. So I think it works both, both ways for us. Yeah, I, I think... Um, what we've heard and what I believe now is like a great post-purchase experience, not just improves retention and customer lifetime value and such, but accelerates the the uh, upper funnel and, and new customer growth as well too. And like, that's a classic example of what you're sharing with us, Michelle. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, this has been so much fun. Um, I, I know I just looked at the time and I realized- Did you finish that- all six cans? I 12. 12. <laughs> I finished all 12 cans. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't see me. <laughs> I wouldn't even be able to talk if I was finishing all 12 cans, I feel like. You didn't go um, to the restroom. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I know. Wow. Superpowers. Um, but Michelle, this has been so fun. One last question mm-hmm. that we like to ask our guests is any resource. It can be, you know, in business in general, it can be a book or a podcast or just general advice that you'd give. Um, what would be one thing that you would share with our audience? Yeah, I think this is more just like general advice and something that I I really keep in mind as I'm working is that retention is about like the long term. And it can be really, you know, maybe uh, I'm losing my words, it can be very tempting to kind of compare to maybe some growth strategies that are very exciting, large budgets, exciting campaigns, big, 
big splashes, whereas retention is that that long-term process. It takes a lot of grind and uh, refinement and willing to like really commit to the process that um, in the long-term is really rewarding, but um, it, it takes a certain you know mindset to really focus on that, that long-term um, goal. Yeah. I love that. You have to have patience, Maria. Yeah. <laughs> Noted. Noted. <laughs> Could you I'll, do this? Yeah. I'll think of that while I'm sitting on my Olipop. Well, Michelle, this has been a blast. So thank you again for making the time and um, telling us more about the ins and outs of Olipop and everything in between. Yeah. Thank you guys. This is fun. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs>